Right. Good to be here. Our second Sunday, <clears throat> Sunday at the stable. And I think some more of the wise men and women found us this week, too. So that's good. It's a place to be. And we are, I'm just so thankful for all God's done in 2023. The lives that were changed, the growth that's happened in, our, in, our, in people's lives individually and in new people coming into the kingdom. And really expectant about this next year. So we will be having a focus in January about being the praying church, being a praying church. Um, but this is still the last day of December, and we're actually wrapping up our, our December message series, going through the, the letter that Paul wrote to the believers in the city of Colossae, the letter to the Colossians, um, which we've been calling Overall, To All, and End All, In All, looking at how Jesus, Christ, this, this book is all about Christ and how he's overall, he comes to all, and his, the goal is that he would be all in all that he would fill our lives, and that he would fill all the earth. And that is what he's doing. And this, um, the end of this book, like most of the New Testament letters, and especially Paul's letters, it's very like high-level theology and truths and ideas at the beginning, and then it gets very, very practical. And so we're calling this, this, this wrap-up Getting Practical. Because he's, he's talking about, you know, we've looked at how Jesus is overall, He's the head over everything. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's filling all in all. And then last week we started to look at this. Really the way that he fills all in all, the way that he fills all the earth is through people. And the more that we adjust and align and follow him and see him transform our lives individually and internally, that is how his rule and reign spreads in all the earth. And so... This is getting, getting, getting very, very practical. Um, we, uh, the last verse we read last week, I'm going to just read that again. Colossians 3.17, Paul says this. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, that's everything, whether in word or deed, do it all, just in case you weren't sure, there's in all, okay, here we are, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here he's, he's saying, hey, everything that you do, Christ is, is, is the all, the, the end all, the all. It's all about him. And so believing in God is not just a, hey, go to church once a week or you know, put something on your Facebook status or something, but it's, every, it's not making a decision for Christ. It's making every decision for Christ. It's learning to have all of our lives be growing and following him. And that's like kind of what Brendan was talking about. That, that brings purpose to our life. That is a bigger purpose than our own individual lives and our own individual goals. And we see, wow, God has called me to serve him. And he is doing something great in the earth. He, he is changing things. He's filling the earth. Okay, that translates into my practical decisions. January 1st, January 2nd, January 3rd. That... That is my everyday life. It gets very practical. And so what we're going to do next is I'm just going to read the rest of this letter. And this, is, you know, this letter was written by, by Paul and then sent to the church in, in Colossae and to other churches in, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And it was kind of like this. There were groups of people, not that many people, who they could cram into a house. They would sit around and read this letter from Uncle Paul writing from Rome. 
And they were like, okay, what? And this is, he's at the end of his life. He's respected. He's in prison. Okay, how is he telling us how we need to live? And I just invite us to have that same posture this morning. That, okay, God, you have something for me. What do you want to speak to me about how to live my life? Um, there are really, um, I want to kind of give three categories that we're going to see in this section. And of how Christ extends his rule. And where he extends his rule in our lives. He extends his rule, we see in this section, in our we. In other words, in our relationships. So, we, and we saw some of that at the beginning of chapter 3, or the middle of chapter 3 last week. But so much of Christ's rule coming into our life has to do with how we then interact with people around us. Especially the closest interpersonal relationships. The people that are, are in closest proximity to us. So Christ extends his rule in our we. He extends his rule in our work. And he extends his rule in our words. Okay, our we, our work, and our words. Man, short memory there. I almost forgot it. <laughs> um, and so what we're going to do, I'm going to read through all this, but I'm gonna, we're going to have a discussion about this after I read it. So I want you to be looking, okay, what stands out? What do I catch in this section about what, what God is saying about how his rule is extended in our relationships, in our we? What do I, where do I see him speaking about God's rule coming in my work? Where do I see that he's talking about that, that it relates to my words? Okay, and so if you have a notebook or pen or, a, or an app on your phone, you might take a couple notes here um, or follow along in your Bible, along your Bible if you've got that. Because um, we're gonna just we're gonna we're gonna see what stands out to us as we do that. So before I reread it, let's just pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is it's true, it's trustworthy, and Lord, just as much as you breathed on these words two thousand years ago to the first audience, Lord, would you breathe on them to us right now as we hear your word? Lord, would you, we want to help us to open up space in our hearts, space in our lives, to change, to think differently, to come into more of what you have for us. Lord, bring revelation, bring conviction, bring faith as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I'm just going to read here. Again, imagine, coming straight from Uncle Paul, 2,000 years later. Wives. Submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children. Some translations say provoke or exasperate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. 
Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. <clears throat> My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings. As you can see, we're getting into the closing greetings here. As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who's called Justice, not, not Jesus of Nazareth. This is another guy with the same name. Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant or minister of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea, and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. There it is. All right. So lots of practical instruction. Lots of getting real there. Let's just talk about this. First category, in our we, where do we see, what stood out to you about these instructions about how Christ is in us and through us in our we? Two, three, four, jump, just throw out what you see. Dave. I think all of us who are older men, and you have children or grandchildren, or in my case, even great-grandchildren, you look back what kind of a father you were, and you see maybe lots of things you did right, but all of us know there's no perfect father. And this comes to mind sometimes that maybe you could have done things differently or a little better or a little, I don't know, maybe you lost your temper or you did something. And, and you have some regrets a little bit. I, th I don't know if there's a father who doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. 
I remember Billy Graham once sharing some things about him as a father. This is Bill, the Billy Graham, and he had some regrets about how he was a father. And um, so that there was an instruction there about fathers, and it kind of just pricked me a little. Hmm. You know, I, I was not um, number number twenty one there. Number mm-hmm. twenty one. I um, I mean, I I, I was not a absent father, or I tried to be a good father, I really did, mm-hmm. my wife will tell you, and uh, a lot of things I think we did pretty well, both my wife and I, but still there's, uh, it, some things come up and I just, I wish, you know, you wish you could do a few things over, and mm-hmm. so it's convicting, anyway, yeah. it's convicting that, that <coughs> yeah, it's good. I think I, in all of these family instructions at the beginning, it strikes me that they, because I'm a dad too, and my kids have often pointed out when I have not followed this verse. And, and it's like, wait, are you? Uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's all these things go against the grain. Like all these things go against what's so natural for us. Like it's, it goes, it crosses our flesh and our natural inclinations. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, when I was thinking about that and even going to slave uh, uh, to band of masters, me, what was thinking about and this might not be the best word, but just like it, there's this sense of harmony or, or synergy about, and not necessarily the idea of submitting, but I mean, it's also about submitting, but this idea of just like, um, I don't want to say working together, but there's this working together of like creating and doing things out of a because I'm the boss, because I'm a parent, because I'm a but just like, hey, let's 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 if we work together there's something great that we can accomplish. That's what I would mm-hmm. in, in the week. Hmm. Yeah. Which it hits on in where verse twenty uh, or verse one of chapter four, um, masters provide your slaves with what's right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. That there's yeah when when you have a responsibility as a supervisor or a boss, that it makes a huge difference the way you go about. It. Yeah. Yeah. Husbands, the wives, wives, the husbands. 
Yeah. So good. Yeah. Good. Dale. <laughs> Actually, I want to say, I have a sermon I've given all over the world to men in third world countries called Husbands Love Your Wives. And almost always, they get angry at me, mm. the men. Wow. Because in their culture, right. you can teach wives submit to your husband. They say, of course. And then you say, wives love your husbands. And the men get angry. That's both in Asia and Africa. Because mm. they say, if, if I... Uh-oh. Watch, watch out, husbands. You're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and this, these topics, this is, you know, there's a lot to unpack here. And we're not going to do go too far. But I, the, the thing I said earlier has really stood out to me as I was thinking about this. Just in, in all of these, it so crosses our will. It's so, it goes against the grain of what's natural. It crosses our flesh. And... The real, that's where the real transformation happens. And the whole submission thing, like that's not just wives. I mean, we see it here for children, but one of Paul's other letters, he says, hey, submit, one, submit to one another out of reverence in Christ. Being a follower of Jesus, we're all submitting. We're all called to submit to our Lord and to the people, to enter one another. And so it's a real test of, our, is Jesus our Lord, if there are people in our life who will stop us in our tracks? And when they say things we don't think that way or we don't want to do, that if we really are submitted to the people around us and yielded to them, it's huge. Um, so one more thing I want to say about this whole topic. So this is moving beyond the, 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 this section and the rest of the passage when it was more talking about church relationships or just anything, you know, it's just when it's this letter. Did you pick up anything about relationships in the family of God in the church that stood out to you? The end of chapter three. Yes, that one. Uh, I, please forgive me. Sounds like I'm bragging. I'm just telling you my experience. I've taught in over a hundred countries. I've been in over a hundred countries. And the three areas of the world I've been to the most have been Eastern Europe, um, Asia, and Africa. And I don't. Think I can't remember ever being asked the question about slavery in Eastern Europe or in Asia. I don't think I've talked. In, I've been to India more than 25 times. 
I don't remember ever a question about slavery in India or China or any of the places I've been, Korea or any of the countries, Central Asia. But in Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, I almost never taught when I didn't get asked a question about slavery hmm. and Christian perspective on it. And uh, I had to do a lot of study and research and I had to talk to a lot of mature Christian leaders, both Africans and Americans who are missionaries in Africa because I I would be get, I'd get asked questions about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I needed to have biblical answers and teach how the Bible talks about it, you know, and uh, understand when when John Wesley came to the U.S., he wasn't yet born again. He was not yet a Christian. I mean, he had studied theology and everything. He went to Georgia. But when he came back after two years, he, he I don't remember his wording, he said slavery is one of the most vile things he'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. He always said that all his life. And uh, then the Methodists were one of the ones that did a lot of the fighting against slavery in, in England. So anyway, uh, I, I just wanted to tell you that mm-hmm. in certain circles, you have, uh, if you don't know a lot about it, you need to be able to point them. There's some good books and some other things mm-hmm. to give a Christian answer about all of that. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of, these are some hot button topics here at the very beginning. And again, I know to just think some highlights we need to understand are that the slavery in New Testament times, there was a, there was a wide description, there was a, it described a lot of different situations that maybe a lot of it was unjust and cruel, but not all of it was. And it wasn't the same as the slavery we had in our American context that was very evil in that it was race-based or you know, color-based and very dehumanizing and even written into our Constitution, the idea that people of African descent are lesser value than people of other descent. You know, that, that, is, that is just straight evil and contradicts God's word in so many other places. But if I think a lot of the application for us, we can look at this and just there are economic relationships that have more parallels to the spectrum of servanthood and slavery in New Testament times than, they, than we are aware of. And so some of their principles that are, that are good without, without embracing the evil sides of, of dehumanizing people. Um, yeah, it's a lot we could talk about. I, I just want to mention, we, I want to go on, but to our work, but the other thing I just see in this about the we is that the, kind of the ethos, the, the spirit of this letter is so relational. You know, when Paul's talking about, you know, he's here in prison, but he's got this brother and this brother and this sister and, oh, I love, they're, they're dearly beloved. And there's just, there's a closeness of family relationships in the church that is so countercultural and so much a result of Christ in us. Uh, that is the Christ coming in us has everything to do with how we learn to love and build relationships and build community with the people around us. So that's just you know, in, the, in the family and in our work relationships, but in the church at a very high level, there's a spiritual family. So let's move on to our work. What, did you, what stood out to you about, and we've maybe seen some of this 
in this discussion, discussion about slaves and masters, but what stood out to you about Christ extending his rule in our work and how that applies to our lives? Mason. Right, that is helpful, yeah. I mean, there were household servants who would be adopted into the family. Yeah. There was a wide working, spectrum of what that meant. Working as servitude, and in that context, that's uh-huh. not the same. That's what it means by slavery. And work isn't bad inherently. I think most people agree on that. Yeah. Um, but I think Christ is going to be rule. Good. That's good. Yeah. How, how many of us have had our character grow in ways we weren't intending through our jobs? <laughs> yeah, it's a great environment for stuff to come out. Hey, watch it, Suzanne. I don't want to hear any of those stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unjust masters and all that. Yeah, good. Uh, what else about work? Yeah. Ah, so I think there's just kind of a an overarching thread through kind of in our we and our work and our words uh, that goes back to like the very first and second commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think a lot of them kind of if you break them down to their their most simple mm-hmm. uh, explanation, it's just treating people in a way that is loving to them. Like if somebody's paying you to work for them and you have a relationship where you're doing work for them, the loving thing to do is to do it to the best of your ability, and it also brings glory to God. Because those people will see you and they'll be like, why is that guy always in a good mood? Why is he kind of doing things in an effective manner? And they'll, you'll be able to kind of be a light to those people, bringing glory to God and being like, mm-hmm. I like this because of what God's done in my That's life. Great. So I think even through all three of those kind of things that we're asking about, you go back to kind of the core of it. And it's treating people in a loving manner. It's showing God's love to others in a way that brings glory back to God. Yeah, so good. So good. And, and yeah. That, I think of First John three eighteen as you preach the gospel all the time, and it's need be these words, and they will see Christ in us. And so, uh-huh. if we're preaching it, we're sharing it. So it needs to, and it goes along with what he was saying. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was so true. I'll tell you, in my lifetime, it's never been easier to stand out at your job than it is now. <laughs> like it's never been easier to be like, wow, something's different about you. The way you're like, the way you're at the cash register, or the way you're helping in the store, or like, the bar is really low, okay? So, like, there's a lot of room 
to really shine his lights in our culture. Yeah, good, yeah. Verse 25, I think, kind of falls in all those categories. Uh-huh. Being as the times that we're in right now, I personally, a couple of years ago, became very frustrated with the abuses I've seen going on. And it seemed like, you know, evil is prospering right now. And it was like I was being the judge. But according to that, God gave me relief knowing I'm wrong in judging these people. But if someone's doing wrong and I can prevent the wrong, take care of it. But as far as judging it, God is the one that's going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. It's no longer my responsibility, whereas I, I felt I was helping God out. Mm-hmm. A lot of good suggestions. Right. <laughs> you do that too, huh? And he just gave me peace with that verse that it's, don't worry about it. Uh-huh. That's good. That's good. Yeah, and so often we're like, we're, we get upset about all the problems, you know, the evil. But God's like, well, where are you? The, the answer is for faithful people in their place of responsibility and service and influence in the kingdom of God grows through that. Yeah. I want to just highlight, too, that really in this whole passage, it's kind of like the first one, the we topic. With work, too, there are two categories. There's your paid employment. And it's a radical concept to say that your job is a place of ministry. Your job is a place of, whether you're a pastor or you're a plumber, like that job is a place of serving God and serving others and being a minister. And it's, it can be holy work as we do it to the Lord. And that's good news because that's where we spend the biggest chunk of our days, right? I mean, eight hours a day plus, whatever that is. Like that is important. That is where God has placed us to bring his kingdom. Um, so there's that place of paid employment. But then also, in Paul's language about the church, he's, there's so much in there about his co-workers and those who are working hard in the Lord. And you have this, this sense of like, man, this is a band of people that have a mission for their life that is worth them sacrificing for. It's worth them giving up things for. It's worth them working hard for. When the, as far as the work of the gospel and seeing, serving God and bringing the message of Jesus to their community and praying and all the ways that that happens. And they are, they have found a vision of Jesus and his kingdom that has called them into something greater that's worth giving their energy and their, their work towards. And so that is, that is so true for us too. So in our we, in our work, and then let's look at the last one, in our words. Yeah, words. I was... This goes against my grain, because I was always, I naturally, as a kid, was like, why do people, words don't really matter. I was naturally quiet, and it's just like, just produce, just do stuff. People talk too much. But I've like, come to realize, wait, no, words are really important. God created the world through his word. And in the same way, he commissions us to bring new creation through our words. And so what are some of the ways we see that in this passage? Yeah. Like, clearly, so close with all these people, and has direct instructions for each person, and has like direct greetings for each person. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Even just like the greetings mattered to him. Yeah. You know, like this person is sending his blessing, his greeting to you, and that that carried weight. Yeah. I think it's uh, it's about self control, one of the gifts of the spirit, and it ties in with James. He's got uh-huh. control of his tongue. Uh-huh. 
Because with the tongue, we can do so much damage uh-huh. or so much good. Uh-huh. And yeah. the old adage, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a big lie. <laughs> because I'm from the generation where you got whooped on. The, the bruise is healed, but it's the, the verbiage uh-huh. that did the damage. Uh-huh. And so, especially if you got kids, you got to be realizing, mm-hmm. choose your words. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing, us men that are married, I've done a terrible job at times yeah. with my words of hurting the one that I should love the most next to the Lord. Because we take our wives for granted at times that they understand what we're going through. Mm-hmm. And with the tongue, we cut to the bone. Mm-hmm. With the tongue, we can cut to the spirit. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's so powerful. It's a lifelong thing that you have to work on overcoming. Right. Because I'm sorry. I, I know all you wives. I've used this word. I don't care that you're sorry. I want to see some action. I'm tired of hearing. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't fix everything. Right. So. Yeah. It's like. We can all relate to that. Appreciate that. This makes me think of how we need God to do that. And I think of even how so many people, one of the evidences when you first give your life to Christ and are born again is people stop cussing. <laughs> like, it seems like, that's like, you know, I mean, mostly, you know. But there's like, there's, it seems like that's typically something that is a pretty radical change pretty quickly. Like, oh, wow, I don't talk the same way I used to. That's, but there's a long way to go in that process for sure. Yeah, good. Where else do we see? <laughs> Making me laugh, Agent. <laughs> yes. Good. <laughs> Good cussing. Good cussing. Yeah, Susan. To the, a story that I read one time that has stayed with me in terms of the power of words is um, it was this article that had the four words that changed my life, the seven words that changed my life, etc. And this particular story was about the seven words that changed my life, and it was a little girl who, well, she was a little girl at the time, this was many years later. She had a facial deformity, and so she had suffered quite a bit in high school. And so when she um, was having, uh, they were doing a hearing test, and at that time they were doing it a lot differently. So everybody went out and was in a line in the hallway, and the teacher, they would come to the door, and the teacher would whisper something to them. And if they heard it, you know, they would go in and tell her what they heard. And the teacher um, whispered to her, I wish you were my little girl. Yeah, so good. I bet a lot of us have can think of like a conversation or a sentence that someone spoke that lifted us up in a way that we'll never forget. Yeah, good. What else? Any one or two more? What do you see in this passage from how words? Yeah, Kaylin. Mm-hmm. It says, like, yeah, devote ourselves to prayer so that we can communicate clearly and we can proclaim it clearly. And I mm-hmm. think it's important to, yeah, go to God first or mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I can relate to that. 
I find myself out of words, and I have to pray to like get something from God to have. Yeah, so good. And so much of this, that's so much of this is about prayer. That the ministry of these people is to pray. I mean, Paul's talking about how he's praying, but then he talks about uh, who is it in Epaphras in verse 12, 412. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And so here's this guy who he's he understands his ministry of prayer, that he has a discipline and a practice in his life of wrestling in prayer for other people to see them come into what God has for them. And that's that's why we want to be a praying church. You know, that's it's our prayers that bring people into this. I was this reminded me about I was thinking about Jacob and how his life, the Old Testament Jacob, was words were so important. Like he he stole the blessing from his dad, which was just words spoken over him. But he knew like even though it was deceptive and everything, but and Isaac, his dad, knew that that mattered, that those words that were spoken were going to direct the course of his life and his descendants. And he came into that, and his brother missed out on it. And then Jacob also wrestled with God. There was a story where he encountered this figure, a spiritual being, and weird passage, but wrestled all night with him and wouldn't let go. And that's when God changed his name from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel. And he said, because you've wrestled with God and man prevailed. And then it brought that whole nation into, this, into the purpose of God. And I think there is a wrestling in prayer where we only come into what God has for us and we help bring other people into what he has for them. In the arduous, sweaty, painful, like wrestling with God, crying out for people and speaking God's will and figuring out God's will and praying it over them that that is what we're called to do, is to wrestle with God, to bring people in to his purpose for their life. And it's powerful and effective. So yeah, prayer is, prayer is huge in this. And, and then just the gospel. I mean, I love that. Hey, be careful of how you speak with outsiders. Let your grace, always, let your words always be seasoned with grace, like salt, that you'll know how to give an answer to those you interact with. And as we talked about at the beginning of this, this letter, this, the gospel had spread through this whole region. Paul hadn't even been to this city, but it was, it was every believer taking on the commission of, oh, I'm a minister, I'm, a, I'm an evangelist. I'm, a, I'm called to bring the gospel to my friends and my family and people around me. And I, I get it, and I'm going to bring it to people around me. And realizing, man, that it takes words. It's, it's, it's our life, but it's also our words that having words from God to bring his message of truth to people around us and invite them to cross the line of faith and become disciples too. Like, that is how Jesus' reign spreads in the earth. And all of those things are indispensable in us being part of that and what he's doing. So, um, yeah, in our we, in our work, in our words, there's a lot there, a lot to chew on. Um, We'll be sending out, the emails are still coming out, one more, five more days if you're getting those. So a few more days to, to chew on this, apply it to our life, and see God bringing it in. And I am excited about, you know, in January, this whole praying church theme, and really seeing God lift us up to a greater level of being a praying church and partnering with him in what he's doing. So um, 
Let's take 90 seconds. Tell a person next to you. Let's take two minutes. You got 30 seconds to tell them one thing that you want to apply in your life from this. 30 seconds to listen to them. And then 30 seconds to pray for one another to help this come about. All right? Ready, set, go. Go.